0: Well, we're going to read the Bible together just now, and we're reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, and the first uh, 11 verses. Uh, we are uh, doing a little series in the morning on the, uh, the attributes of God, what God is like. And uh, this morning we're thinking of Trinity, uh, the fact that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see that particularly uh, illustrated and, and, and uh, worked out in Jesus' baptism, that we are Uh, reading about here. And we'll just read from the beginning of the chapter, remembering that this is God's Word. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came Baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Amen. We trust that God will Blessed to us this reading from His Word. Well, as we said, these mornings we are uh, looking at God's attributes, His characteristics, what God is, is like, so that we might better know Him. We've, we've often quoted uh, A. W. Tozer, uh, who has said in this regard, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And we want what comes into our minds whenever we think about God to be uh, accurate and true, uh, and and we trust that as we, we see God as He really is, uh, that, that He'll capture our hearts more and more, and that we'll be moved to worship Him better, to trust Him more fully, and to serve Him uh, wholeheartedly. And today, we are thinking about God as Trinity, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, straight away, we've got to uh, admit that this is not easy. It takes us to the heart of who God is, and if we could understand all the things that there are to understand about God, then we would be God. Uh, We would uh, be able to grasp the infinite, and we are not God, and we're just creatures. Jim Packer uh, said, I always find this uh, challenging and encouraging, Jim Packer said that the Trinity is the most difficult thought the human mind has ever been asked to handle. So here we are, we're going to spend a few moments thinking about the most difficult thought the human mind has ever been asked to handle. So that should shape our expectations a little bit, but uh, God has told us that this is what He is like, and He wants us to know that He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I, let's, let's think about it like this. There are a couple of ways to, to be amazed, aren't there? I'm sure there are more than, than these sorts of ways, but you can be amazed because you have grasped something. I, I, I remember a number of years ago, we went to the uh, Railway Museum, the National Railway, this gives you an insight into boring McCulloch holidays, but we, we went to the National Railway Museum in York, and uh, there they had this huge big steam engine, and it was cut away, and they had all these models of, of how the, the, the steam was generated, and the propulsion worked, and so on. And I stood and watched and read the boards, and watched the things moving, and sort of got my head around it a little bit, and, and, and was really amazed. I thought, great, I've sort of grasped that now, and I, I'm really amazed by that. I, I was amazed because I'd, I'd understood something. But then there's another way to be amazed, and maybe you've experienced that uh, on a holiday, you, you've, you've been driving somewhere or walking somewhere that you've never been before, and you've come over a ridge or you've come around a corner, and this tremendous view has just opened out in front of you, and uh, it, it just takes your breath away. And, and you're amazed not because you've necessarily understood something better, but because just the, the beauty of what you're seeing, the magnitude of it, has just gripped you and grabbed you. And maybe as we look at the Trinity, we're going to struggle to understand some stuff, but but we trust that the, the beauty of it, the magnitude of it, will grab us, that we'll be amazed. We'll say, wow. And, and as we say, as His beauty grasps us afresh, that we might be moved to worship Him and serve Him uh, more fully. Well, what does it say to say, what does it mean to say that God is, is Trinity? Sometimes we use this word triune. And actually, it, it is, uh, the, the, the meaning is, is, in the words, as is so often the case, tri, trinity, three, uh, and un, as in one, as in unity. So, so, God is both one, there is one God, but He is also three. He exists in three persons, and that uh, captures what the Bible says. That that word trinity and triune and so on, those are not biblical words. They are words that uh, we have used to grasp, however, what the Bible says. Christians believe that there's one God, but we believe that this God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each God, and yet each distinct from each other. Now, our catechism some of you will have learned the catechism, just a, a series of questions and answers that are to help us uh, grasp Bible truths. And the catechism is really helpful here, as is so often the case. Two questions, five and six in the shorter catechism. Are there more gods than one? And the answer is there is but one only, the living and true God. So there's the the, 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 the triune, the, the, the one part of of what God is like. And then a question 6, how many persons are there in the Godhead? There are 3 persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these 3 are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Those who want to maybe rest a little bit more deeply, would be uh, well advised to look at the Westminster Confession in this chapter 2, paragraph 3. Uh, it says this, In the unity of the Godhead there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Ghost eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. So again, one God three persons this is a huge subject some of the reading i've done this week has stretched my wee brain a little bit and uh, we're going to try and look at it fairly simply and we're going to begin by by doing a little sweep through the bible and picking up some of the things that the bible says stopping off at a few things along the way so first of all we're going to think about how the bible uh, reveals the trinity the trinity revealed now we do, as we were saying to the boys and girls with Jason's help, we do need God to reveal this about himself. Some things are clear about God from what we call general revelation, uh, our creation particularly, his eternal power and divine nature, as Romans says. But the Trinity is not one of those things. We need God to reveal this to us. And the Bible begins with some really famous words, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God tells us about Himself in this book, and He tells us that in the beginning, He is. In fact, we understand that He is all that there is, and we see that He is one. That means that He is God alone. There is none other. As we journey through the Scriptures, we find that one of the the really fundamental sort of creeds for God's people. in the Old Testament was called the Shema. It was in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is what it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. So, there is one God, and our calling is to love Him. There's one God, Our calling is to love Him. That means all other gods are pretenders. People may say there are many gods, but actually there is only one God. He is the living and the true God. Remember, of course, that God's people, in the Old Testament especially, lived amongst peoples who tended to worship many gods. There were gods, perhaps, who dominated territories. Some nations had particular gods and Uh, You went from one area to another area, and you were under a a sort of like a new governing authority, a new governing God in a different place. Or there were gods that dominated particular areas of life. You were traveling. You worshipped one God. You were uh, wanting to to have your crops grow. You worshipped another God, and so on. But, But the Bible says, no, there is one God only. However, even in the journey through the Old Testament, there are hints that this situation is more complex than we might first of all think. So, for example, in Genesis, when God's about to create uh, man, he says, Let us make man in our own image. It's a plural. Let us make man in our image. And that's odd. Some people have suggested it's a, a sort of a royal we. Uh, but it's, not, it's, it's, it's hard not to think that there's some sort of plurality being hinted at there. Then there are other cases. Jesus picks up, for example, Psalm 110, where David says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Jesus points out, how can this work? Uh, How how can David have a Lord to whom God speaks? David was king. There was no one above him on earth. How how, how can the Father, how can God say to someone else, I'm going to make your enemies your footstool? Well, as we understand the Trinity, of course, we understand, Jesus was drawing attention to this, that this is this discussion within the Godhead. And then there are, for example, promises in Isaiah that one day the Lord would send His servant, and yet also alongside those there are statements that the Lord Himself will come, and we wonder, well, which is it? Is it going to be God sending someone, or is it going to be God Himself coming? And then, of course, as we understand that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we understand that God the Father will indeed send His Son who is himself God. We get to the New Testament. And of course, this becomes much clearer that one God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we need to understand that it's not that the Son and the Spirit are sort of added in. Now, whenever we use the word God, and sometimes whenever the Bible uses the word God, it refers to the Father, But very often, and especially in the Old Testament with the the, the great divine name of Yahweh, it it really is referring to um, the Trinity, to the triune God. So it's not as if Jesus and the Spirit are added in later on, but that actually the, the Bible's always been talking about the triune God all the way through. That's important for us to think of. So, this becomes clear as the New Testament unfolds. Father is God, spoken of in many places, of course. Jesus is God. So, for example, Titus 2.13 refers to Jesus as our great God and Savior. The Holy Spirit is God. Famously, famously we we think about Acts chapter 5 there, where Ananias and Sapphira are lying to the Holy Spirit, and Paul says they have lied to God. So, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all referred to as God. Now, some people, the, the area of the Trinity was, was an area in which lots of people made some huge mistakes in the early history of the church and and, and went off into all sorts of wrong uh, alleys. And one of those alleys uh, was to suggest that, that what was happening was that, that God was sort of uh, putting on different masks and appearing in different times. in in different forms. So, for example, if you've ever uh, been involved in a school play or or, or some amateur dramatics and and you've been a wee bit short of uh, actors, you know that you you have to get one person to play the colonel and the the policeman and the butler and and two or three other things as well, and he has to run off the stage and, and, and change and come back on as the next person and so on. And they're sort of suggesting that that actually uh, the one God sometimes puts on a, a father mask, as it were, and then a son mask, and then a spirit mask, but it's really just one God. But that's not what the Bible tells us at all. You think about our reading. Jesus is baptized, and there together, our Father, Son, and Spirit, Jesus is there in the Jordan. The Father speaks, this is my beloved Son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. The Spirit descends upon Jesus as a dove. You see, there are the three persons all together, each of whom is referred to here or elsewhere as God. Jesus gives us the framework as he gives us the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and then what? In the name." singular, one name, one God. But we don't get one name. We now get three names in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You see, one God and three persons. So how do we pull all of this together? Well, uh, some people really like diagrams. The sort of people who go to railway museums really like diagrams. And, and, and here's a, a classic diagram that the, the church that ha, has sort of pulled together down through the years where you can see that uh, Father, Son, and Spirit are around the ages there. Uh, all are God, that the red arrow says is. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. But then you see the the black lines between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it says there, is not. So, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. There's distinction between the persons of the Trinity. Now, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in each person. God is not made up of parts. There's one God with three persons. Well, that's a lot for us to to try to get our heads around or to explain. But, but we see that as, as uh, the Bible talks about the Trinity, we find that there's a, a sort of a pattern that comes out. And we're going to think about that a little bit. Whenever the confession talks about the Trinity, the way that it distinguishes between the persons of the Trinity is by highlighting the relationships between them. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father the Holy Ghost eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. So, the Father doesn't come from anything or anyone. The Son is the eternal Son, eternally begotten. The Spirit breathed out by the Father and and by the Son. And this is what distinguishes the persons. The Father begets the Son, breathes the Spirit. And, And then as God is at work in His universe, we see that there's a pattern that That mirrors that too. God's work proceeds from the Father through the Son by the Spirit, in the Spirit. So we think of creation. God speaks the world into existence. The Father speaks the world into existence. He therefore creates through the Word, through His Son. And He does so by the Spirit who is hovering over the waters. Think about the work of the cross. God saves. How does He save? The Father sends the Son who offers Himself to God through the Spirit. And there's a pattern then for us in terms of our response to God whenever we pray. Typically, we pray to the Father through the Lord Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we seek to pray in the Spirit, by the Spirit. And you see that that, that all members of the Trinity are are involved in all of God's works at all times and also with us too. How how is the the, the Trinity experience? Maybe we think this is out there and, and, and doesn't really anchor with us very well. Uh, let's remember that Packer said it's particularly challenging, but there's a sense in which we have experienced the Trinity, uh, even if we struggle to articulate what we experience. C.S. Lewis put it beautifully as he pictured and and talked about a, a person saying his prayers. This is what he said. It's in mere Christianity. An ordinary, simple Christian kneels down to say his prayers. He's trying to get in touch with God, But if he's a Christian, he knows that what is prompting him to pray is also God. God, so to speak, inside him. But he also knows that all his real knowledge of God comes through Christ, the man who was God. That Christ is standing beside him, helping him to pray, praying for him. You see what is happening? God is the thing to which he is praying the goal that he is trying to reach. God is also the thing inside him which is pushing him on, the motive power. God is also the road or bridge along which he is being pushed to that goal so that the whole threefold life of the three-personal being is actually going on in that ordinary little bedroom where an ordinary man is saying his prayers. And so tonight, whenever you say your prayers all of the Trinity will be involved with you in that act. We're interacting with all the persons of the Godhead all of the time. We we, we cannot do otherwise. Well, look, two, two implications just to finish. There are huge implications, but two implications to finish. One is we have a God who is absolutely unique. A God is absolutely unique. Sometimes you'll hear people speak about various religions in the world, and they say, you know, well, we all worship the same God after all. But I hope that you see that our God is absolutely unique. People may believe in a God. They may even worship a God and live for a God, sacrifice for a God. But our God is Father, Son, and Spirit. He's absolutely unique. There's no one like Him. And only this God can save, only this triune God Is the Father who's able to send the Son and the power of the Spirit to rescue men and women. And therefore, today, if we're Christians, how grateful we should be that we know Him and how burdened we should be that this world might know Him. A belief in some higher being won't do, will not save, this is the God who is, and this is the God who saves. We have a God who's unique. The world needs to know him. And then we also have a God who is love. One of the most amazing statements about God in the Bible is that he is love. We, we've learned that from our earliest of days. God is love. We learned that he, lo- he loves the world. God so loved the world. But it's not that, that God became love whenever the world came about no he's he's love independently of the world he's love before the world but how can he be love when love needs an object you you, you, if you're going to love you've got to love someone something who does god love before he loves the world well, what we find is that as we begin to think about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we find that God is caught up eternally in this trinity of love. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, the Spirit loves the Son, and so on. God is love, and that's able to happen because of the trinity. We, we, we can't really have a God who loves without it. And the amazing thing about this love of God is that it overflows to us. He so loved the world that He gave. And, and so we get to get caught up in this love. We get to benefit from this love. We, we become the object of His love, and we, we get to share in this love. And when we say that, that God loves, God's love overflows to us, that that makes us think perhaps of of somebody filling a glass and just going a little bit too close to the top. You know how the kids like to 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 sort of see how full they can fill their brother's glass so that he can't pick it up without spilling it. You know how that works. Maybe that's only in our house. But but you think it's just a little drop that escapes over the edge. But no. In, in John seventeen, in the upper room, Jesus is praying praying to us, Father, we get to overhear this, this prayer within the Trinity. And if we didn't get to overhear it, we'd never really believe it, because Jesus prays, and he says in John 17, 23, prays, praying about unity, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and then here's the thing, and love them even as you love me. Jesus is thinking about us, God's people. And he says that you have loved them even as you have loved me. So you think of the Father and the Son and the Spirit perfectly loving each other from all eternity past. And that love overflows, pours out to us. So that Jesus is able to say, you've loved them even as you've loved me. See, a God who's not Trinity can't love like this, and a God who is Trinity is so love that he has poured out his love on you and me so that we are loved even as the Father loves the Son. Our our, our one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit welcomes you in. He welcomes you in. And this is what our hearts yearn yearn for. It's what we were made for. Our hearts find our home in him. So let's come to him in prayer. Let's pray.